This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Hi, today on the Edge of Innovation, we're listening to part three of our interview with Paul Buckley, a Christian pastor in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Let's listen in. I apologize, we've gotten sort of deep and heady here. <laughs> so you, you're a scientist, not where you are, and you're a material scientist, which is non-trivial. I mean, you know, it's, it's figuring out how things work and how they're used in, in their extreme in some ways. And not just, oh, this is tape, you put it on it's, it's really stretching and understanding materials. Before post-it notes were invented, when post-it notes were invented, they were a miracle. <laughs> but a material scientist probably could have come up with that or would have been the type of person, and you were doing that in all sorts of different materials. And I guess what I'm getting at is there was something there that wasn't readily apparent. You know, post-it notes was a failed experiment. And so now you were encouraged by the people around you by your relationship with God to go into ministry. And I've always been struck by all the other countries in the world have minister of defense, minister of this, minister of that. In America, we have secretary of defense. Okay. And so what does that mean to minister to people? So would you consider yourself a minister or a pastor? Are they different things? Well, minister is a, a title, and it connotes the idea of service. So... You know, it's it's a matter of protocol in some ways, what we call someone. Pastor literally means shepherd, and mm-hmm. in the scripture, you know, that's what the role is called. So, I mean, I'm fine being called a minister in our church and our group of churches. You know, we typically don't use the word minister, but I'm supposed to minister. I'm supposed to serve. I'm supposed to help people. Well, I help people in my role as a lead pastor. Uh-huh. So that empty my trash or sometimes I've done all sorts of things in helping people but that's not the core of what I'm supposed to do okay. empty the trash <laughs> right. I need to be available to help people a pastor's called to really be a like Christ really all Christians are but a pastor's called to be like Christ and caring for others shepherding people Christ is the, the good shepherd the ultimate shepherd and pastors are seen as under shepherds they're shepherds that kind of are similar so they're to care for people and so that metaphor of a shepherd and his flock is used in scripture quite a bit the idea of it's really the ancient Near Eastern shepherd not a western shepherd so the ancient Near Eastern shepherd lived with the flock the flock knew him he had names for all the sheep he could speak to them and he would lead them he didn't drive them so he'd walk ahead to the next place and they knew his voice they'd stay close he cared for them and so that's the image of a pastor as a leader who is integral to the flock he's part of the flock he knows people they know him he leads in christian truth he leads in the application of that truth coming alongside as someone who helps people so there's a degree of leadership there's a degree of assistance there's a degree of counseling and care that goes on and a pastor is supposed to do that as part of a, of a whole church so there are other people that come alongside and, and assist in many different roles so you're not by yourself mm-hmm. in that but you're, you're kind of leading in that so that that's kind of what i do so what is that physically or practically mean? I mean, is it that you um, trying to figure out what is it you actually do? I mean, you just we sort of made the joke of going over and empty somebody's trash. Right? <laughs> but I imagine it's a lot more in-depth than that. What, what is the sort of the top level 
you know, the things that, get some examples, you know, what you Yeah, do. really the most important things that a pastor is to do is really to minister in the Word and in prayer, so to serve with, with the Word of God. So you're to teach the Bible. You teach what it means and how we live in light of the Bible. Mm-hmm. So that's done in many different contexts. That's done in the context of relationships and meetings. Maybe you have meeting, you know, meet different meetings, different groups that meet at the church. Uh, most centrally on, in our Sunday worship, there's a message every week, 40, 45-minute message that's given on the Scriptures, the truth of the Scriptures, and mm-hmm. the application of that. So you're teaching the Word, but that's also happening in relational contexts throughout the week. I meet a lot in more one-on-one or, or one-on-two type context for what we would call biblical counseling. It's people going through difficulties. It could be you know, long stint of unemployment and just wondering, you know, what do I do? And I feel terrible about myself. And so help me out. And we just talk about biblical truths that impact that and that mm-hmm. help them endure through those times. We have people suffering and going through sickness. We have people with relational conflicts. And all the different problems of life, a pastor is to be a helper, comes alongside, helps with the truths of God's word and understanding and applying mm-hmm. and enjoying those truths. And Prayer would be something I spend time in, probably about an hour every day, just praying for our church. We believe that God is, and he answers prayer, and we're called to pray. We're All Christians are called to pray, but pastors really to spend a good amount of time praying, praying for his people. So that's what I do during the week. We also, we're, we're an organization as well, so we are an entity, an organization that has to be led and administered. So I oversee that. I don't do too much of the administration. We have a, an administrator. We have different deacons, people who serve in the church in certain roles or responsibility. So they do a lot of that, but I, I kind of oversee it. So there's that aspect as well. I interact with other pastors and other, to some degree, some mm-hmm. community organizations. And so that takes up part of the week. So all in all, I have to actually work hard to not spend too much time <laughs> doing my job and as a pastor and to keep my hours under 60. So. Interesting. So now, you know, we were talking about the sort of very nature of God and you were t- saying he was, he was good. But uh, there's a lot of people who I think have an opinion of God that he's a killjoy or, you know, just angry man up in, up in heaven. Is that the accurate picture of him, do you think? Would you, would you agree with that or not? No, I think it's a very shallow picture. I think you have to deal with the fact, though, that he's just and he's good. And there are bad things that go on, and mm-hmm. there are bad things we do. So to kind of think that it's a guilt-free thing, it wouldn't be accurate in the sense that, you know, God can't just sweep the wrong things we do under the rug. But he does make provision for right. forgiveness, and he wants us to receive that provision and live in it. So so the, the, the rest of the story is that he's a God of great love. He's a God who's glorious. And, you know, all these things we see around us in creation are things that he's made. So he's just fantastic in all the things that he does and all the things that he wants us to engage in with him. So he's, a, he's all those things, you know, he, he's good and he, he provides for us and he cares for us. He loves us deeply. He's infinitely powerful. So, you know, again, we, we touch on these things in life. We love what the Hubble telescope shows us. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's what God made. And it shows us what he's like. He's mm-hmm. glorious. He's an artist. He, you know, he causes the sun to rise and set and eclipses to happen and all these glorious things that because of just his genius, his power, and he wants us to know him and he wants us to enjoy eclipses and he wants us to enjoy sunny days. And he wants us to love each other and he wants us to form companies like Save Your Labs to do good things, to use gifts. It's just really 
innumerable types of things that we're to do by God's design, and it really shows his character. So yes, we have to deal with the fact that he's holy and good, and he's concerned about the reality of, of our sin and our brokenness, but he provides for that, and he wants us to live in his love. He wants us to be reconciled. And, and that's a big motivator for us as a church, to live in those things and to so love our neighbors and our community that they would be interested in hearing that good news and mm-hmm. experiencing its results. That's fascinating. I, you know, there's been a, a strand through history of God being this mean God up there. Certainly, there's a bunch of people, I would think, think that. And it sounds like the God you're describing isn't like that. It sounds like his his predominant feature attribute is love. And that's like, okay, so what's the big deal? Like, if he likes me, that seems like it's going to trump a lot of things. I'm wondering why the predisposition to thinking he's this big, bad, mean, mean guy out there. I don't know why we always think that. I think it can come from our own sense of looking at our lives and realizing that we've, when we compare ourselves against God, we don't look too good. So the typical response when God shows up in scripture is for people to hide, to be afraid. And I think that's just because of who we are. We Again, we realize that something's wrong. So I think someone who's realizing they've done something wrong is going to be predisposed to think that the person, the party that they've offended is coming to be angry and deal mm-hmm. with it. So that might be part of why we think that way about God, but he's so much more than that. Again, he, he is good. He's not going to just wink an eye at those things, but he wants us to be reconciled. He approaches us through Christ and invites us to, to be reconciled to him. So his disposition is not primarily towards the offense. Mm-hmm. It's towards us in love, towards reconciliation. So that that's how he is. That's how he thinks about us. So that caricature of the angry man is inaccurate in that way. It's, you know, it's not portraying who he is. But I think it does touch on the sense, our sense of guilt and the sense of there being a problem. And again, the, the good news is that there's a solution from God to deal with that. But it sounds like not only is there solutions, but he's gone out of his way to create the solution. Yes. So in other words, you know, it's sort of like, you offend me. I guess this is, tell me if I'm, if I'm paraphrasing you right. You've offended me, and so I'm offended, and I'm going to create the solution to reconcile with you. Yeah. You know, you're the offensive one. Right. And I'm going to not only just create the solution and not just put it on the shelf, but I'm going to pursue you. That seems radical. Yeah, it is radical. And we see that in the, the life of Christ. As we read those stories, we, mm. we see what God's like. That's a, you know, if you, Jesus says that, if you, if you know him, you know the Father. If you really want to know what God's like, read about Jesus in, in one of the Gospels, well, one of the accounts of the story. If they've sort of known this or heard this or, you know, are socially aware of it, yeah. are sort of intrigued by some of the things they've heard. Yeah, I think, I mean, lots of places. Yep. Two good places to go. Quick read that gives you a, a quick and dramatic snapshot of Christ. Well, it was 2017, so everything has to be quick. <laughs> and it's not that quick. It's not just a tweet. But the Gospel of Mark, packed with action. You get to see Jesus at work, and there's a lot of explanation that goes on. He does something, then it gets mm-hmm. explained and, and interpreted. So it's a great way to see what he's like. All um, of these references will be in our show notes. So if, you, if you're driving now, you don't have to write this down. You can go back to our show notes afterwards. So what else would you consider something that would be an encouragement 
somebody that's curious about this. Another good place to start is the Gospel of John. Uh-huh. Gospel of John is a little more intellectual, maybe, a little more oriented towards concepts versus action. So Mark brings you who Jesus is through a lot of action and then ex- explanation of the action. John is more, it's still action. Jesus does things, but then there's, there's a lot of truth, a lot of ideas and concepts that are discussed and extended, and they go on for quite a while at times. I, lo- I love them both. Mm-hmm. I like John and, and its depth of engagement of okay. some of those concepts. Um, so if you said the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John, well, what does that mean? In the Bible, there's all these different chapters or books in there. And are these stories, or what what are they? The Gospels, again, that word is just an old English way of saying good news. Um, So they're the the good news, according to Mark, and really the good news about the life of Christ, according to Mark. And they are ancient biographies. It's important to understand ancient biographies are not like modern biographies, so that the genre of, of biographies at that time was more about exposing you to the hero. By, by kind of giving you snapshots. Hmm. And it's not a chronology. It's not a detailed chronology of the hero's life. It's really like, here's what happened. Here's what he did. And here's what that means. And boom, boom, boom. You get a lot in that, so I'm not trying to underplay what you get from it. But if you go into it thinking, I'm going to see a detailed chronological biography of Jesus, you're not going to see that. He it's, was it's born a, on this day. It was a Thursday. It was raining. Right. His parents were this. And right. He grew yeah. up and he liked trains. Right. Yeah. So it's just a different type of literature, but really engaging biography. Okay. And so you'd recommend reading the Gospel of Mark and, and or the Gospel of John. And now, I know there's lots of different Bibles out there. I mean, you can get the Photoshop Bible, you know, which is, tells everything about Photoshop. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about, I think, the Holy Bible, of course, but uh, there are different translations. I mean, there's Old English, which, you know, the, sort of, the, I think it's called the King James Version. What would you suggest would be more easy to read or easy to understand Bible that might be something that, you know, so you can choose from anything you want. We're in America. We're on the Internet. We can pretty much get any, anything we want right now. Yeah. Where, where would you have them turn? My favorite is the English Standard Version. Okay. All these versions are just different translations into English, so they're pretty much all from the same original languages, so they're all working off the same language, Hebrew, Greek, and so forth. It's just how do you say that in English? How do you translate it into our language? So they all agree very much. It's just how do you phrase it? Mm-hmm. So the English Standard Version is very well done. It's a little more kind of college-level English. Mm-hmm which can be good sometimes because it can be more precise when it needs to be. If you want something that feels more kind of like how you talk with your your best buddies, Mm -hmm. you know, the contemporary English version is good. And sometimes, you know, that's more effective. I remember hearing a story of someone who went to college and was exposed to a Bible like the English Standard Version and read it and engaged in it. And they had grown up speaking as a child, Pidgin English in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And they were at some seminar and there was a Bible translator reading out of a Hawaiian pidgin English Bible. And this person was just touched deeply in their heart in ways that they had never been before, hearing the same words they had heard in a different translation now spoken in their childhood language. So it can have that effect. So, you know, if you're more comfortable kind of with the common, like, you know, what vernacular you grew up with, maybe the contemporary English version, but the English standard version is an excellent English. We'll put those in the show notes, maybe even the pidgin. Yeah. Hawaiian pidgin English. That's it. Yep. Wow. It's called the Jesus Book. Wow, interesting. 
Always worried about keeping current with IT? Savior Labs is an IT and web services firm that cares for your business and team. Savior Labs solves problems so you can focus on what you do best. Prepare for 2018 with a free IT assessment. Just follow the link in our show notes and enter code SAVIOR, S-A-V-I-O-R. And now we're back listening to our conversation with Pastor Paul Buckley. So, you know, we sort of touched on social media and social, well, so, sort of social things. Clubs we talked about and associations. And how do you think that is, you know, we're in 2017. There's never been a 2017 yet. We're in the first version of it, the only version of it. And we've never had the internet like we have it today. We've never had, it's all these new things. I imagine similar to the way the printed book was, you know, hundreds of years ago or than the telephone was a hundred years ago or not even a hundred years ago. So all of these technologies come about. But I think one of the differences between, I mentioned I'm in photography. So there's been photography clubs since photography was invented. And people who are interested in it sort of clustered together and, and socialized and fellowshiped and got interested in that. But that took a very active, deliberate act to go to a photo club. You have to go and do that. Now with the internet, they're sort of in our pocket. We can do anything we want. We can self-identify or have affinity to these groups that are much less, I guess, maybe tactile. You're not actually, you can have this virtualization of yourself to say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm into photography because I go to this website that covers on photography, but there's no person-to-person contact there. I might have a post on a Facebook page. So what, is, what does that mean? Is that good? Is it bad? Is it a placebo for real relationships? Is it somebody sitting there trying to fill a need that ultimately they can't fill because there's nobody else in the room? Yeah, so is your question related to just the impact of these well, things on a I church? Think, or? I think that the church is one way to experience relationships. There's a big aspect of it based on what you've said and what I've observed is that relationships are pretty important. So social media tends to, I think, I don't want to overuse the word, become a placebo for relationships. Yeah, I think it's a tool for relationship, but I think we have to be careful to use it appropriately. So it can only do certain things. It can't do other things. And I think the mistake is that we think it does it all. Like you're saying, placebo, you know, it it gives the sense. Like, well, since I watch this church's Sunday service from Mm -hmm. my house, I'm part of the church and I'm, I'm good. I'm good to go. You know, I'm really involved in this church that I watch every Sunday or every Sunday night or whatever. Now, I don't think it's wrong necessarily to watch church service Mm -hmm. on video. It can be great, but is that really what, you know, is that really what is intended in being part of a church? There's so much more. There's relationship, as you were saying. There's depth. There's a breadth of relationship that is supposed to be part of being in a church. If you don't have any commitment to anybody in that church to be there when they're needy and just to be a friend, mm-hmm. to, to, to just to, to just to enjoy life together to some degree as well, then you're really not a part of that community. You're just an, an observer. And yes, I think we can be anesthetized to the need for real community mm-hmm. through the use of social media. And so we need to be wise and use it as a tool that's appropriate right. to do certain things, but to not use it as a total replacement for genuine community. I think one of the things in social media that a lot of people don't necessarily recognize is that you don't have any of the nonverbal cues. You can, you can walk into a room and sense that somebody's not having a good day or is having a fantastic day, and you don't have any 
any way to perceive that in social media. It's almost like a vacuum between us. Again, it's not bad to send a message from one person to another or from me to the ether, and everybody sees it that says, I like golden retrievers. Okay, that, it's not a bad thing there, but if I don't have a situation where people are perceiving my joys and sorrows, I'm missing out on a lot, I guess. Yeah, I think you can, I mean, you can analyze it from many avenues. The communication bandwidth mm-hmm. is limited. You know, as you were saying, that's so that's certainly true. And there's other media that's, that's true as well. The telephone, which we use quite a lot, mm-hmm. doesn't allow us to, to see each other. It's a little better than text because you can hear in a voice, you can hear tone and so forth right. and cadence and all those things. So it's limited. Social media is limited in its bandwidth. But there's other things that it can't touch on that beyond just its ability to communicate or not communicate. I think there's a huge statement in presence when we're with somebody physically. We're there. We're there in their own space. We're eating a meal together. We're there physically. There's an implication of friendship commitment, and there's just something that does for us in our relationships when we have experiences together where we're, we're near each other. You know, we I don't know, go hang gliding together or something. You know, we're going to talk about that for the rest of our lives. Remember that time we went hang gliding? It wasn't just that you went hang gliding, and then I went hang gliding a right. week later. Oh, we both did that, and let's talk about it. No, we went hang gliding together. Right. And, you know, I heard you when you when you screamed, you know, and, and, you know, I saw you with that landing, and, you know, and then did you see, you know, the seagulls flying around, you know, whatever it is. There's a there's a, a relationship, a, a fellowship, in a sense, is, you know, in, in that activity together. So that's way beyond just communication. And then I think with that is, is just the life commitment of walking uh, through life together and knowing that this person's here for me Mm -hmm. there i mean there are different levels of commitment so within marriage you know that's a pretty high level but the church is like a family you know Mm -hmm. this family that's a very high level church is compared to a family in scripture and and so that community that the intention is that there'd be this life on life experience Mm -hmm. and so social media can never do that so it's not necessarily alone it can't do that but I think right. can enhance. Yeah, it's it's a tool, and when it's used appropriately, it can be very helpful. Cool. So now, how long have you been doing this? You're a pastor at a church, King of Grace in Haverhill, Mass, and we talked about you started out in the filling and then moved into Haverhill. How long has this church been in existence? We are celebrating our 15th anniversary. Wow. September, actually. I left to be trained as a pastor 17 years ago. Okay. So, so you didn't just say one day I'm going to be a pastor and just say I'm open up a church that you actually planned and methodically went through this or was it just or you drive yeah. to Boston? Yeah, no, I didn't want to do anything that crazy. Yeah, it was a process. Certainly there were a lot of things that went on leading up to the decision to leave my job. So it was a smooth transition in, in the sense that it wasn't like all of a sudden I went from doing nothing related to being a pastor to now going off to be trained. Mm-hmm. I had been doing a lot of pastoral sorts of things up to that point. So when it was time to make the decision, it made sense. And then I went to be trained at a pastor's college Mm -hmm. within our denomination that has an accelerated program. So a lot of the elements you get over two or three years in in seminaries, you get at this pastor's college in nine or ten months. Uh, It's very intensive. It's with pastors and the teachers. You get to interact quite a bit, a lot of mentoring that goes on. So it was great. For me, it was nine months. And then I went into an internship to be further mentored and prepared. That was 11 months. And then from that, I formed a team, worked with the team, and we all together started the church in, in uh, 2002. So 15 years, we're coming up on 
are you where you expected? Not as far? Further? Or did you have no expectations? Uh, I'm grateful to be where we are, put it that way. We, uh, in our church, is about 200 folks. Everyone were there on a Sunday in New England. That never happens, but that's about how many folks we have and, and wonderful people and get to do a lot of wonderful things. When I started out, I was new at it, and, and I planned out where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I had a, a one-year, a five-year, a 10-year, and a 20-year plan. Mm-hmm. And so at this point, I think we're at about the five-year mark. Oh, really? Yeah. In what dimension? Just in, well, the building or? Uh, uh, multiple, multiple aspects. So the numbers were related to just what I hoped would be the, the overall maturity of the church. Uh-huh. I wanted it to be a church that was full of people that, you know, were, were fairly mature in their Christian worldview and the practice of that, church that was effective in the community, reaching out to the community, being a helpful part of the community, influencing people with the truth of Christianity. Also a church that was sending out other church plants. So there was a bunch of metrics that I had along those different timelines. So yeah, the five-year thing is would be kind of inclusive of all those things, mm-hmm. numbers as well. So yeah. So it sounds like you're expectations were higher than, dare I say, what God God's were? Yep, and that's fine with me. I think it's better to aim high and then be content with what you get. <laughs> so, that's you know, fair. rather than aim low and get where you should be. Okay. So I still, I still aim high, but it, it's tempered with some years of experience at this mm-hmm. point. I guess just in, in closing, what would you sort of want to sum up? We had a fairly meandering discussion here, but what would you want to say as a sort of summary? of what we've talked about. And again, we've got lots of different people all over the world listening to this. They're not all Bostonians who, you know, have a Boston worldview, which everybody in Boston thinks it's the center of the universe. <laughs> you know that. So what would you want to sort of wrap up and put a bow on? The main thing. Making sure the main thing is the main thing? Yeah. yeah, well, that's a good question. We've talked about a lot of things. I think one of the big ideas in what we're talking about is that we're made by a good and great, incredibly interesting, creative, powerful, loving, good and holy God. We're made by him in his image, and he wants us to, to live that out and all it's meant to be, that we need help with that. Left to ourselves, we've failed and will continue to fail, and it is care for us and his goodness. He got involved, became a man, provided in the life and death and resurrection of Christ a way for us to be reconciled with him and to start to fulfill what we're made for, to image him and all that that means and all the different dimensions of creation and humanity that's offered to us. It's a gracious gift. It's a free gift. And we simply need to receive it, believe it, live in it, and I think live it out in the context of a community of faith, Christian faith. And I think it makes all the difference. And I, I'd love to talk more and more just to how it applies to every area of life. Again, I love science and wish I could do science and be a pastor. But I know that worldview and, and that truth of being made in the image of God has a huge impact on how we do science, why we do science. And, and similarly with technology, with, with everything, it connects so if I had to sum up, I'd say it's, it's about that, that big idea, being made by God in the, his image and made for something pretty fantastic. But we need help. We need him. Cool. Very cool. Well, we've been talking with Paul Buckley, who's the lead pastor at King of Grace Church in Haverhill, Massachusetts. All of his contact information and some of the resources we mentioned will be in the show notes if you're interested. And we appreciate your time and listening, and thank you for listening to The Edge of Innovation. Talk to you next time. 
We've been listening to an interview with Paul Buckley, a pastor at a Christian church in Haverhill, Massachusetts, located just on the border of New Hampshire and Massachusetts. If you'd like more information, be sure to check out our show notes where you can get information on how to contact Paul and the church he pastors in general Christianity. If you have suggestions or ideas of who we might interview in the future, please do reach out to us and let us know that. We do love feedback from our listeners. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.